welcome to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines, changing the conversation around divorce. This show is sponsored by Penguin in the Room. Penguin in the Room is an award-winning arts, marketing and social media management company. If you want to jazz up your socials and have someone Instagram and tweet for you, then here's your answer. Go to www.penguinintheroom.com. As always, hit subscribe to make sure you're updated about new episodes. And we love to hear from you on social media at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. You can also email us all the infos on our website, thedivorcesocial.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I am joined by Rosie Green, author and journalist. Rosie, welcome to The Divorce Club. Well, thank you very much. It's nice to be here. Sort of, I guess. <laughs> it's lovely to have you. Um, is it why, So you said it's nice to be here, sort of. Why is that? How does divorce make you feel? Well, I guess it's nothing that I ever planned on being. I came from a kind of single parent family and I always had this sort of idea of I wasn't sort of super domesticated, but I, I, you know, I kind of grew up with my mum and it was just me and her. And I always wanted that sort of family and that sort of, you know, the mum and the dad and the two kids and all of that sort of stuff. So I, you know, I guess in a way I'm disappointed that I am, I'm about to be divorced. Um, Although there are really good things about it too, like, you know, on the journey, which I'm sure we'll get to, but it's just not something I ever aimed for. Sure. Yeah. It's not something when you go to the school careers advisor that they're like, I can see you working in a flower shop and getting divorced. Exactly. Or prison officer, I think they said to me. Oh, wow. Okay. Did did you ever try prison? I don't think it was for me, really. No. Sure. Fair enough. Divorce is similar in some ways, I guess. <laughs> you feel caged. There might be a bit of aggression. You feel powerless. Yeah. Yeah. And you're trying to rejuvenate and uh, kind of rework your life. Yeah. Similar. Rehabilitate yourself. Yeah. That's the word. There we go. Rehabilitate. So you, you said you had this image of, and you always wanted that sort of family and kids. Yeah. Um, where do you think that came from? Do you think that was your upbringing or just something that you'd seen in films and thought, yeah, that's what I want? Um, I had quite a, my dad's sort of an academic and he's quite, um, you know, he's he's sort of left wing verging on, um, you know, Jeremy Corbyn communism. And so my mum and dad split up when I was quite early, early doors. So he didn't really believe in that kind of cosy family thing. So, um, 
you know, he's a great dad, but he, it was never that, you know, A, he wasn't there. And also he didn't kind of believe in that sort of domesticated life. And so it was just me and my mum. And I guess that I always, she was incredibly loving and, um, you know, and, you know, gave me so much kind of self-esteem and confidence, but I always felt we were slightly like, you know, we went to Christmas and it was, you know, we felt slightly like the kind of poor relations or the hangers on. So I guess I just did everything I could to kind of not to to feel kind of like I had that nuclear family and it was and it was enough to just be us if you know what I mean yeah no definitely I think my parents split up but when I was older yeah but I think I just always issue I come from a Catholic Irish background so for me it was just always like oh you get married and you have a family and that's you know the unit that you're meant to be in and now I've come out of that and I'm divorced and single and I have no children and I'm like everything that wasn't in my plan but I'm loving life well you love it yeah exactly that's that's the interesting thing isn't it it's like in a way you're kind of everything's turned on his head but there are some amazing positives from that yeah definitely so how long ago did you split up with your ex so um it was about not last summer but the summer before that he came back and you know and and to me out of the blue said you know I feel differently I don't or you know was kind of like I I don't love you or I don't love you in the same way you know there's horrible lines that you don't really don't want to hear um and you know we've been together for sort of 26 years at that point so you know I'd spent all my adult life with him basically since I was 18 so then I kind of desperately tried to keep it together and so that we kind of limped along until Christmas when he was like no I really am going um and so yeah that was so that was Christmas two years ago so this will be like our this will be actually our third Christmas uh after he's gone so you mentioned you've mentioned Christmas a couple of times already and obviously it's coming up so it's probably on your mind but how was it preparing for Christmas but knowing that your marriage was maybe coming to an end Oh, I mean, that was absolutely without doubt the worst time in my life. I could see, I could, you know, I, I was desperately trying to stay in in that relationship. I was desperately trying to keep him there. I was, you know, I was saying all those things to him, like, you know, you'll regret it if you leave, like think about the children, all that kind of stuff. I was desperate. And, um, you know, which is quite unlike me because, uh, you know, I'd always been quite strong in the relationship and, and you know, quite sort of feisty and all those things, but I totally lost my, lost my sort of sense of self at that point. And, um, so I was massively trying to hang on to it and I was trying to get him to go to all those things like the pantomime and all that stuff and he just wasn't coming home from work and it was just so painful. And then on about the, I think he went to see his best mate and he came back on like the 22nd and he said, I, I can't do this, like I'm I'm out, you know, as in I just can't continue the relationship, but I think we should have Christmas for my parents and for the children. And at that point I got so low and I'd sort of agree with everything he said at that point, like a bit of the old me came out and I was just like, do you know what? I'm not doing that. And he said, you're so selfish. And I was like, okay, I I really know now, like this is, this is not, that's not the right answer in this situation. Um, So I went with the kids to my cousin's house and, um, you know, I just remember now, you know, driving, leaving him and we just all sobbed. My mum came with us. So there was mum and my two kids and me, and we just drove the whole way to Devon, which is like a four hour drive. And all of us just sobbed the whole way there. Um, That was Christmas Eve. Horrific. So he, broke up with you a couple of days before Christmas yeah I mean he gave me the final chat I mean he you know to be fair to him if that's what we're trying to say he'd been trying to leave for like three months but at that point I think you know he decided in his mind and then I would I'd sort of convince him or he wouldn't be brave enough to say no it's over and that but that was the final day where he said that and then for me his reaction at that point just finally triggered something in me that I was like 
that's not reasonable. Because there have been so many things where I was thinking that's not reasonable, that's not okay. But I was so kind of, I was so browbeaten. I didn't, I didn't trust myself anymore. I didn't trust my instincts, you know. I think that's so true. I, I can definitely relate to that of like, you sort of feel that because I remember when we first had the chat, which my ex started of, you know, should we still be together? Maybe we should break up. And at the time I was still in that mindset of like, no, we're going to make everything work. And, and actually eventually we sort of both decided and had quite a nice moment as, as breakups go. But, um, I remember that initial chat and yeah, I was so convinced and like, you do get that desperation because you, You've, you're, you've built up this life for years yeah. and then all of a sudden you imagine it kind of crumbling before you and you, you know, once you're the other side and you feel great, it's brilliant. But at the time you imagine yourself sort of surrounded by the ruins of your life and the... Eaten like by Alsatians in your lonely... <laughs> I also think, um, uh, so uh, in, in the book that I've written about heartbreak, I, I did quite a lot of research and, I, and actually I think there's something about that rejection of ego that means it's quite a lot of it is not actually about them. It's about your ego just not being able to take that idea of being rejected. So you just will do anything almost. And then I think you don't like the uncertainty. So I think we all like certainty, which is why we're all struggling so much with all the lockdown and the COVID rules and all that kind of stuff. You just want certainty so in a way for me that moment when he said it and I could I'd hit rock bottom at least then I was like okay I can crawl back now you know I've reached the bottom the past has been ripped off basically yeah definitely I think in some ways obviously the the actual breakup moment is the worst emotionally but it's also like okay right now we have a plan of action (laughs) (laughs) exactly Exactly. and yeah it sort of galvanizes you in a weird way and um yeah I just always thought actually that kind of that waiting for the punch I think is the worst thing you kind of you're sick you know what's coming you know and that to me that's the worst zone to be in and so I just want to go back to that sounds really difficult moment where you're packing up the car with your children and your mum, you're about to drive to Devon, it's Christmas Eve and your marriage has just broken down. How was that moment for you? What did, what did you feel in that moment? I mean, I, I think I just felt utterly, utterly devastated. Um, and I kind of, um, I, I'd I'd spent so long just trying to keep going. And even in that moment, I guess you kind of want, I wanted almost someone else to take charge. And they did, like my cousin and his wife did by inviting me and saying, you need to come. Um, So I kind of, in a way I felt, I felt, just totally devastating and, and my real kind of concern was for the kids and I felt very confused about whether I was doing the right thing I was still you know his words were still in my ears I was thinking is that really selfish you know should I have just pretended to get through Christmas but the fact is I mean he he was quite explosive I would obviously be very emotional then you throw the in-laws into the mix it, it would have been a disaster so I think actually it was horrendous but at least as I say I felt at least like I was on the start of the journey to recovery at that point. And how did you break it to your children and your sort of relatives because uh, we've talked a lot about this on the podcast and some people say it's harder breaking it to other people than it was like hearing it because then they have emotions yeah. on yeah. behalf of you yeah and sometimes they're not the emotions that you want them to be but um actually what had happened because it was such a long drawn out process I mean when he first came back and sort of said you know this is not what I want and he started behaving in a way that was 
just unbelievably unrecognizable to me. He'd always been this very solid, very, and I think quite kind. And suddenly he was very, he was very angry with me and he was very unkind, I think. And um, uh, so uh, that, but I sort of only, I only told a few people at that stage because I was desperately trying to keep it together. And I just thought if they, if I tell them what he's doing and how he's behaving, um, you know, which we can't go into the whole sort of uh, the details of that, but it was pretty bad and um, they're going to hate him. And so if we do get back together or we, I mean, or we do go the distance, then they're all going to hate him. And I, I know from friends who have managed to get it back together, that is a real problem. So initially I only told a few people and, you know, they were horrified, but actually, you know, they too were sort of, you know, they were kind of joint friends because all our friends were joint. So they were trying to help, you know, they were trying to keep me on an even keel. Um, and then slowly, as as I just couldn't deal with it anymore, that I, I sort of widened the circle of who I'd told. So by the time that that happened and we went, we, you know, we were driving down to Devon, there were quite a few people that knew, but, you know, and, and, and they were all like, you know, they were family who were just so shocked in the same way that I was because he it, it had it really did feel like a bolt from the blue it didn't feel like anything he would ever do so you know it wasn't like we were rowing it wasn't like we weren't kind of affectionate it wasn't like we weren't going on holiday together it wasn't like any of those things to me anyway maybe to him he kept it pressed down but outwardly he didn't seem to be showing those signs it's interesting because I think a lot of people reacted to my breakup is saying that it was a shock, even though for, you know, even though it wasn't a shock to me and things hadn't been going well for a while. But I think I did that thing that you said of, oh, I won't tell them because if things get good again, then, you know, they'll remember all that bad stuff. Um, but now I look back, I think, well, that's a bit of a sign, isn't it? If I didn't want to tell my friends what my husband was doing. Yeah. Then, And I do now I look back at it and question and think, you know, what, was he unhappy you know it didn't feel it didn't feel like that but obviously you do go back and you question it and and I think also you know he was doing that thing where he was kind of re I felt like he was rewriting the narrative of our life so he you know it was like all those things he was going almost as far back as getting married and saying you know you, you've never supported my career and stuff like that all the way back so it's almost like then I was like is that true you know it really messed with my brain in that kind of gaslighty type way that you know I think we still I still don't really know kind of how unhappy he'd been for and for how long you know yeah. And so how was that Christmas in Devon? Because what a difficult time of year. I can't imagine a breakup at that time. And I know I find Christmas difficult. I'm sort of two and a half years on, yeah. um, you know, just as like a single person and you used to do everything and go and see all the family with them. So how is that so immediate and Christmas and how is it now? I mean, in a way, I guess there was no expectations of like trying to make it, you know, um, nice. In a, you know what? My cousin and his wife were so welcoming. And the fact, you know, it seems stupid, but the fact that I didn't actually have to do anything because I was a sort of shell of myself. So I didn't have to cook the dinner. I didn't have to. And, and the fact that they have, you know, loads of dogs and their kids are older and they were really lovely. And so, you know, they kind of there was a lot of distraction. Um, so that kind of made it a lot easier but it was just hor horrific and then I was the other thing is I was trying to get the children to sort of you know stay in touch with him so it was just all that awful uh, you know that was awful as well this kind of, the kind of communications with him um and sort of feeling guilty you know that I left him in a you know in a weird way you know so that it was it was just very confusing but I did feel very supported 
and, and how are Christmases now? So last year we went to my cousin Em's and it was a lovely big Christmas. God, I mean, it seems like a different world, doesn't it? You know, it was a lovely big Christmas. And, you know, I weirdly, I don't get sentimental about those things, actually. The things that I the things that I struggle with more are the stuff, the everyday stuff that's like, you know, if the children are really upset or they're playing up or I'm just like, do you know what? I didn't sign up to being a single mum or that's when I sort of start to feel a bit sorry for myself. If you know, if the boiler doesn't work and I've got to climb up into the loft, but actually Christmas and things like that, I, I think I'm quite good at sort of working out what's going to make us all happy and where to be and who to be with, you know? So actually last Christmas wasn't at all bad. And this Christmas, I think we'll be, you know, I think we'll be all right this Christmas. I feel, I feel much less pain. And so how did you get through that pain? Cause obviously you've got, you've got your children and you've talked about sort of being worried about them and feeling guilty and all of that. But how did you work through your internal kind of emotions to get to being happy and feeling okay about Christmas? <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, so my ex moved out in the January and that was all sort of horrific and protracted because he then didn't want to move out till he found somewhere. And I was like, this is just horrendous, like living with him. I feel the thing that breaks my heart now is when people write to me and they say, you know, I'm still under the same roof. And oh, my God, I just think that must be so hard, especially if someone's being quite aggressive. Well, earlier in this series, actually, of the podcast, I spoke yeah. to Callie Beaton and her ex lived in the attic. <laughs> Oh my God, like a horrific. Yeah, I mean, that would just be horrendous. So once he moved out, that made a that made a big difference. But on the day that he moved out, I've always been a magazine journalist. I've always written and, and I was at L for a long time and then I was at Red. And even though I'd left Red as a staffer, I wrote this column for like 10 years called Life's Rosie. And it was all the funny stuff about family life. And, you know, it was a lot about him. You know, it was kind of, you know, the differences between male and men and women and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, I then sort of moved sideways to my editor had gone to Woman and Home. And um, uh, I, so I went to Woman and Home. And obviously, it's a, it's a sort of more grown up title. It wasn't, it wasn't quite as me. But, you know, it was a really nice regular salary and all, the, all these sort of things. Anyway, she rang me on. So I had severed my ties with Red. I mean, that sounds a bit serious, but it wasn't, you know, I just left. And um, and then she rang me, I mean, after about four or five months of working for Woman and Home and just said, look, I'm really sorry, there's no job anymore. I was like, oh, my God. So I've lost a husband and I've lost my main job, you know. Um, and so I just was like on my knees. I was like, oh, my God, life cannot get any worse. And for some reason, I rang him and I'd stopped relying on him for anything or stopped reaching out to him or doing any of that. And he was so cold. And I was just like, oh, my God, I'm on my, you know, I'm so on my own. Um, and how am I going to pay the stuff and all that kind of stuff? And I went to see my editor at Red. I just told her everything, like, the whole story. I was like, I should probably be more professional. You know, I just sobbed. I told her everything. And she was so supportive. And I think I just learned in that moment that if you show people your emotions and you are vulnerable, then they, you, you know, they will react with kindness generally. Um, and so I feel like that was the start of the journey of just being open and talking about it. And I wrote about it for Red and the response was just unbelievable they said they never ever had it so many letters you know my my instagram i had like i mean hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of messages coming in you know to the to the extent that i was like oh my god i sort of saw all my personal dms and there was a whole load of other dms of people that i didn't i mean it was just unbelievable and then people started sending me their stories and so in a way that support really helped 
Yeah, I think the whole reason I set up this podcast was because I just wanted to talk to someone about my divorce and I, you know, none of my friends had got divorced. So it was a very selfish, like, I'm just going to ask the people if they'll talk to me about their experience. And, and actually, I think sharing my story and hearing other people's stories have been so, it stirred up a lot of stuff in me. I have to say it's a bit like counseling, but it's, um, it's been so cathartic. And I think, you know, and that's why I called it the divorce club, because I think it is a club. Once you've been through heartbreak like that and like a huge breakup, you know, whether it's a divorce or like just a long term or an intense relationship, you, it is a club. And as soon as you open up to someone else, you know, they'll come back with their story and you just feel like kindred spirits. Yeah. And I think sometimes as well, you can help get clarity as well, like someone else's story. So what quite often people will send me emails or direct messages and I'll put them up on my Instagram and other people respond so strongly to that because, you know, they say, oh, that's where I was five years ago. And, you know, so they might say, you you will feel okay. Or some of it is like, um, quite often I get things from uh, messages from women and they say things like, um, you know, my husband's come back and he just says he's not feeling the same way anymore. And, you know, he's, but he's going to move out and I'm absolutely, totally shocked. And, you know, and then like, you know, it's totally obvious from the outside that basically he's found someone else and he's fallen in love with them. And this is just a sort of game playing maneuver that he's doing, you know, a, a sort of PR move as it were. And so I think in looking at that, you can get, you know, people get clarity on their own situation. Also, as we were saying before, you stop working out what's reasonable and what isn't reasonable. And if it's someone else's story, you can kind of see that's unfair or not nice or all those things. So it just, it it does, it really helps, really helps. Yeah. And I really liked what you said about, you know, you stopped relying on that other person and then you lost your job and you rung them. And and you have those moments where you just go back, like my, it was the anniversary of my dad's death recently. And my dad had been at our wedding. We had our wedding early. So my dad could be there. We had like the ceremony so he could give me away. And then he died before our proper planned, you know, big white dress wedding. Um, and it was my dad's, the, the anniversary of his death. And I always get, you know, particularly sad and mopey on that day um and he was messaging me about paperwork and then I I did the thing of opening up and being like oh it's my dad's you know anniversary saying it's really hard and then he didn't reply Oh my! And it just, but, but I think those moments are like, we all have them and they're actually so useful because then you remember this isn't a thing anymore. We're not together. You know, it's well within his right not to reply because he doesn't, you know, he's not part of this. We don't have to work together anymore. We're not a team. And even though it's horrible at the time, you're like, it, it does make you go, okay, um, I can deal with this on my own. And actually, for me, that's one of the things, you know, I am so much further on the journey now. But for me, it's so important to keep those boundaries because, you know, I kind of I I know that, you know, that friendship and and stuff like that would be an easy thing to fall into. But actually, I can't, you know, I have to keep it boundaried off because I, I can't I can't function in a way that's more than that. And also it feels kind of it feels like it minimizes the pain almost if it's like, oh yeah, we'll have a, you know, we're going to have a G and T in the garden together or that You know, that to me is like, I'm not at that stage yet where I can just be like, oh, you know, let the past be the past or whatever. Yeah. I mean, maybe I will get to that stage. Um, but I think I'd still be pretending I'd still be doing it 
for the children. I mean, t- perfectly pleasant, but actually there's a divorce coach called Sarah Davison and she taught, coined the term functionally friendly. And I think that's what I always try to remember to be just, you know, polite, you know, but not kind of don't ask about the debt, you know, their day or his job or any of those kind of stuff. Cause I don't want to get into that. Yeah, definitely. And I, I want to talk to you about your writing in your book, because this is how I discovered yeah. you. And I was very excited I did. Um, the book's about to come out, but when did you start writing about your divorce? So it was for Red Magazine, but how, you know, in the process, where were you in the separation when you started writing about it? So I wrote about that. I think I wrote the piece in February. And actually, we were going to, uh, I've got a really good friend who lives in Abu Dhabi. And, um, you know, I just thought, I'm going to go and see her and I'm going to take the kids and, you know, didn't really have enough money to, but I think I cashed in some air miles or I did something anyway, I made it happen. And, you know, we were, oh God, we were all in tears at the airport because I mean, you know, it wasn't like I hadn't traveled without him before or anything, but it was the first holiday, you know, we were this little unit of three and the kids were like really nervous. Cause they, I think children do get really nervous in airports anyway. And, you know, my son was getting really anxious and I was just like, oh, this is just a terrible idea. And I sat on the plane with them either side of me, just with my laptop, and it just kind of poured out in like, you know, actually in terms of writing assignments, I think it took me 40 minutes. So I was like, oh, that's good. <laughs> but it just came out. Um, and so, yeah, that was the first piece, but that didn't, that took like it then because of magazine lag, it took like a couple of months to come out. So it probably came out in maybe April. And, you know, I was nervous then. I was nervous that he would be angry. I was nervous that, you know, other people, 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thought would be angry. I was nervous that I'd expose myself too much. I was nervous that I'd look pathetic because, or also just like a reject because I, I was, you know, clearly saying, I've, you know, I've been left, you know, and I thought, well, that's not going to bode well for future partners. But um, I think it was really important to say that. I just felt like, yeah, I could make it look kind of like we consciously uncoupled, or I could make it look like it was 50-50 but the truth is it wasn't it came out of the blue and it was just devastating to me and so is that April as in you broke up in December and a few months later yes. wow so really early yeah. on yeah really I mean I guess by then you know between the kind of August and the you know he, he'd sort of come back in the August so it'd been terrible for like you know six months at that point you know then I wrote about that then I wrote about traveling and then I wrote about you know and then I and then I started to get more Instagram followers so people were sort of following me who were on the same kind of journey and, and that kind of documented it too and I ended up writing quite a lot for newspapers and things like that and then I was writing about dating so I feel like the whole kind of you know the whole gamut is there and that's so interesting as well that you know, from a really painful thing, it kind of started, and you lost your job, kind of started this new wave of journalism for you, where you're writing about your personal experience. So something great came out of it. Absolutely. And I, you know, I kind of feel, I mean, there's, there's still moments in me, like every time something comes out, I think, oh God, you know, like, am I oversharing or, you know, am I airing my dirty linen or, you know, what is, uh, you know, what, where is the borderline, you know, where is that line between oversharing and sharing and when does it start to look pathetic? And, um, you know, it, it still makes me nervous, <laughs> um, but I just, it feels very authentic. So you're right. I just, and it, it comes very naturally to me. And, and, you know, I, I, I struggle to, um, I struggle to believe it, but I, I do believe it sometimes that, you know, people say to me, it's really, really helped. It's really helped reading that, you know, reading your stuff and it makes me feel less alone. And that just feels, you know, it feels really amazing to have helped people like that. Yeah. It's, it's funny because obviously I'm a comedian and I think we all work through things in different ways. And I remember when, you know, when my dad died and when I was diagnosed with hearing loss and I got a hearing aid, like I'd always write comedy about my experiences and writing it and performing it. It was just like a cathartic process. And I overshare constantly. That is just my personality. And, um, and so I feel like divorce for me was another extension of that. Like I had to yeah. like just talk about it and share and write jokes about it. And I definitely can relate to, you know, people messaging you since I started this podcast, the messages from people just saying, I don't feel alone and you've helped me so yeah. much. Uh, like what keeps you going? Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I remember Googling all these people. I don't know why it sort of seemed to help, but all these people like kind of Jennifer Garner, sort of like, well, Ben Affleck can leave Jennifer Garner and look how amazing she, you know, just like, it's almost like actually you need to see that that happens to other people. And and therefore I think, you know, you by, you know, you, especially with the comedy, it's like the ultimate honesty, isn't it? Um, it, it does. It just really, it really helps people in a way that it really doesn't when people sort of gloss over it and you can't see their pain. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think that's what I like about your Instagram as well. And I do try and do on my Instagram is that you're honest and it's not all about, you know, filtered and I'm fine all the time. Yay. You know, I, I posted the other day on my stories that I just had a big cry and it was great. And like yeah. people always respond to that stuff because they're like, oh, you know, it, you know, I'm on telly a bit and whatever, and I have a book out and they imagine that your life is uh, glamorous. And I'm like, no, 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 I haven't changed my pants. And I had a cry in bed. So it's interesting what I, I was talking about the kind of posts that get the most response. And still the one of mine is, um, I did, did a post of my, I take sertraline, the anti-anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. And I posted that and just said, you know, Actually, people ask me what got me through. And yes, it was all this sort of stuff, but it, it is actually this, you know. And I just think, you know, that that's what people really respond to, the honesty, I think, of that. And, um, and, and you know, also like, for instance, you know, dating, going online, I think people can, yeah, you can, you can gloss over that and say, oh, yes, I met him through a friend at a dinner party. You can lie about that. But I think it's really important to say, so other people feel like that there is, there is life and hope out there. And it is probably not going to be someone that you, you know, a friend sets you up with because there are a lot more men in the men's shop, basically. Yeah. Uh, my cousin is actually getting, he's engaged to someone and they met on a dating app. And that gave me a lot oh. of hope when I was scrolling rolling endlessly and getting horrible responses and pictures I was like someone is getting married from this platform and I know them yeah and you know what again that is just again it's hope and I don't know if um if you follow or know Elizabeth Day but she's just got engaged to her boyfriend who she met on Hinge and I'm just like I mean Elizabeth Day is like amazing and you just think actually that is the way people meet each other now so when did you start dating and how did you find the dating apps? Um, well, so I first went on a date maybe in the, um, maybe it was like July or something. And, and it was a guy that sort of slid into my DMs, how very millennial. And, um, you know, he was much younger and he was cute and he was all those things. And, and we went for dinner. I mean, it's so funny because now I think, oh, I went for dinner. I just like plunged straight in there. But actually, I think for me, that's part of, I, a friend gave me this book called um, "Is Just a Date," and it was like, you know, actually, don't overthink it. Don't kind of put too much pressure on it. And so, actually, I just thought, well, you know, he's, as long as he doesn't murder me, I'm having a, I'm going to have a nice evening. You know, well, the bar was very low then. <laughs> exactly, just don't murder me. That's fine. And actually, you know what? He was really cute. He was really interesting. He was a bit age inappropriate, you know. And we ended up having a snog, and I was like, well, this is great. <laughs> And, you know, I, I hadn't even never been on a date before because, you know, I met my ex at 18. So, you know, I think we probably had a, you know, we started with a drunken snog in a nightclub. So to me, it was kind of, you know, that made me feel like it made me feel alive. It made me feel sort of desirable. It made me feel, um, you know, like there was hope. I mean, I was really nervous. I was sort of not nervous. And then about half an hour before I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> well, yeah, first date in 26 years, was it? Yeah, first date ever. Whatever, yeah. So you're allowed to be nervous, I think. Yeah. And so I went on maybe four or five dates with him. And, you know, he was really lovely. And then I went, um, but, you know, I mean, it was never going to be. And then I went off with my friend Nadine um, to this sort of detox spa. And she was like, right, we need to sign you up. Like, because I mean, we didn't have any food practically. So she was like, we've got to do something to relieve the boredom. So she signed me up to Hinge and we just had this like brilliant, like three hours of swiping through that. And I was like, wow, look at all these men. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I guess I've 
I, I do see that there are absolute negatives about dating apps totally. Um, and, and, you know, some of the kind of horrificness of it. Um, but I, I genuinely think they're kind of uh, something that we should be really grateful for. Cause I, I really think if this had happened to me like 20 years ago, you know, I think it would take a lot longer to find someone or, you know, to have that kind of ego boost of someone liking you. Yeah, definitely. I, I think I said in my stand up, it's like a little black book of people you haven't slept with. So you don't have to go through past old people and be like, and you invite them round, And then when they're on their way, you're like, oh, no, he's got a wart on his balls. Shit. You know, you can rediscover a wart on someone else's balls. Yeah, a new wart. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so regular listeners will know that I talk about my sexual explosion that happened after I got divorced where I just went and had a lovely time and lots of sex. Um, <laughs> how did you feel about the sex the first time, the you know, with someone new? Well, you know, I, I so obviously we got together at 18. So I was very sexually inexperienced. I mean, um, my great friend said to me, Jesus Christ, I've slept with more men on one holiday than you have in your entire <laughs> life. And I thought, well, that's about right. Um, so I... I knew, I, you know, I felt fairly sexually inexperienced. Um, but, and and I did interview for the book, this, um, she's called a Sex Doctor, but she's a psychologist. And she was saying, you know, women's number one worry is um, body image, whereas men's is performance. And, you know, I, I'm aware, you know, I've had two children, all this kind of stuff. and But weirdly, I didn't have that much anxiety about that. I had my, my anxiety was about a sort of vulnerability. I was just worried that if I had sex with someone, I was going to like, you know, Disney princess star fall in love with them. Like, you know, and then I, and then I would be really, really hurt if I, if nothing happened from it or, you know, um, but actually what happened was I, I had this sort of really nice sort of, you know, kind of mini, mini romance with this guy. And we were both fresh out of, um, yeah, both fresh out of our relationships, but you know, we really liked each other and it was kind of on its way out. Um, and I got this free night at a hotel. So I was like, fuck it. We're just gonna have sex. <laughs> so I invited him to this like free night. I mean, I can't tell you it was like the biggest poshest hotel room ever. And you know what? It was really nice. And it, and it was kind of, it was lovely. And actually, you know, I didn't suddenly massively fall, fall in love with him. I just, you know, just had a great time. And in a way, it, it it sort of opened that up to me that you can have sex without being in love with someone, you know. I definitely proved that theory after my divorce. <laughs> well, I have had a kind of sexual renaissance as well. Absolutely. I feel like, you know, I haven't actually gone out and slept with loads of people. I'm, I'm kind of more monogamous than that. So I've sort of had about, you know, I had that relationship and then I went out on, you know, quite a few other dates. Then I had a sort of six month relationship and now I'm in a really lovely new relationship. So, but I didn't, you know, I didn't sleep with loads of people, but the people that I have slept with, you know, has been, you know, has been a renaissance or an odyssey or, you know, I have learned stuff and I feel much freer, you know, and I feel more grown up about it now. Yeah, because it must be so interesting. You know, you met your ex at 18. And so really that's yeah. like your sexual exploration time. You know, we did actually have, we had good sex, you know, we had, you know, and I sort of didn't realise that there were all these kind of neur neuroticisms that people have, because I guess we didn't, we didn't come with any baggage at that point. But, you know, we almost had a kind of teenage relationship and that just sort of carried on in terms, you know, sexually. So um, for me, I feel like I can be much more open. I can talk about it more. And that, you know, that's down to the guys that I've been with. They talk about it openly and they talk about it like grown ups, you know, rather than I'm still a bit kind of like, <laughs> a bit giggly at some points. And I'm like, no green, come on. <laughs> you know, it has been really good, that side of things. And I never thought I'd have that, you know, that kind of wild 
passionate fancying someone really majorly and you know really wanting to have loads of sex you know that's not something you know I hadn't ever really experienced that because when I got together with my ex I was still really nervous about stuff it wasn't you know it wasn't free in that way. That's really interesting that you've had, it sounds very healthy, you've had lovely, healthy sexual experience. I was very cutthroat, I think. I was very like, we're having sex and nothing else. Like, I don't want a relationship. And I think, you know, on the surface, people might say, oh, it sounds like every man's dream. But actually, I think some people were quite shocked by that and found it quite... um, so it threw them. Yes, I bet it did. Yeah, and and I had a relationship with a woman as well after my divorce, and and I think it threw her as well. Um, and I think for me it was a, you know, I enjoy sex, and I'm happy to say that and share that. And you know, if everyone's consenting, great, let's do it. And you know, if we're all yeah. in the mood, but for me, the more intimate bit is like the relationship and going for dinner and like even just sleeping in the same bed like that to me is more intimate than having sex because yeah waking up in the morning yeah I mean did you were you sort of intersex in your marriage or did you sort of like have a rebirth of that kind of yeah I've always had a high sex drive I've always been a sex lover um but but yeah I definitely had like a renaissance explosion yeah. because oh. I was like oh wow I've been with the same person for nearly 10 years and I met him when I was in my early 20s and I you know I I didn't lose my virginity till I was like 18 I think or 19 so that was very early on for me in kind of sexual experiences and and also now I feel like I know myself more and especially coming out of divorce I think you really get to know yourself more because you're dealing with all this pain and baggage and yeah Absolutely. And and that kind of self-awareness is massive, isn't it? Because you have to, you know, therapy and all the books you read, you really have to look at yourself a lot more, I think. So I, I feel that's one of the gifts that it's that it's given me. And, and I think I was guilty of seeing everything through my lens. And as she was laughing this morning about, you know, um, you know, there's no right or wrong to this, but obviously I'm right. You know, that kind <laughs> of, and that's, that, you know, I think I was a bit like that. And so I, and I have to accept that. And so I think now I do really try and see things through other people's lives. And it was interesting what you were saying to me about, you know, it, it sounds like every man's dream, but actually, you know, I think we tend to project what we think men are like, you know, and actually that probably isn't the case or, you know, there are certain things that they've said that have really surprised me in terms of their, you know, their thought processes. Yeah, no, definitely. I think a lot of um, men that I was interacting with sexually, well, I mean, I make it yeah. sound like I had sex with thousands of people. I didn't. But um, I think, you know, some of them were like, oh, I'm actually looking for something more than just a sexual, uh, you know. And then I was like, oh, okay, well, fair enough. Thanks for telling me. And we sort of left it there. And it was a very like adult sort of conversation and honest, and which is really nice. But I want to um, hear more about your book. So it's called How to Heal a Broken Heart. How can I yes. heal my broken heart, Rosie? Tell me. <laughs> well, so it's um, it's a sort of part ma- part manual, part memoir. That's what we like to say. Um, and so it's kind of my journey. And I think in a, as we were talking, I hope that by sharing that, that actually people people get a certain amount of comfort from that, and that they get a certain amount of um, 
you know, uh, uh, they feel less alone in that. And, and, you know, I've tried to make it funny in places. And, uh, you know, remember, <laughs> like, uh, it, so it's in sections. So the kind of early sections are quite sort of painful. And it's, it's following that kind of grief cycle. So it's, you know, kind of implosion, despair, grief, dating, sex, reinvention, all, you know, sort of different different stages and it follows those stages which I think are quite well trod I mean I'm sure some people miss some sections and they skip to others but effectively I think there's a bit of a comfort in knowing that you're on that path you know and actually it's a kind of well-trodden path um and then also throughout it I interview people because uh, that's my sort of journalistic style and actually my publisher always just kept saying to me you know have have a kind of confidence in what you've got to say but I, I always felt like I needed some kind of expert to back it up but you know I found really interesting stuff like you know the kind of in the first moments you know it's almost like your brain's trying to sabotage your recovery so there's some great research, well, sort of great, that says, you know, actually you kind of, in the early days, you crave your ex in the same way, like as an addict does crack. It's the same kind of, you know, the, the brain's working in the same way. And, and I mean, I remember that, you know, you're waiting for the text, you're waiting for the messages, you'll do anything for that kind of glimmer of reassurance. Um, so in a way, I think it's about understanding your body, both the both the mental aspect and the physical aspect. I mean, there's sort of massive physical aspects to heartbreak, aren't there? Like the kind of weight loss or the weight gain or the, you know, the racing heart and the anxiety and all those things. And I think if you can understand those, it kind of makes the journey easier. Yeah, definitely. And how did how did you starting to write, you know, about your experience for Red and then on Instagram, how did that become a book? Um, so I thought I was always in chats with people about writing a book about the life's rosy column, which was, you know, before it all happened. Um, and, and I, you know, like, like most writers, you know, you always think there's a book in there somewhere. And then I did have a few chats with people about it and it just didn't feel right. Like none of the fits felt right. And then this really amazing publisher called Pippa Wright, she works at um, Orion Spring. She, she came to me and she just said, look, I really, I just think you've got a book. And I, and I knew, and she she really believed in it. And also I felt like I could be honest with her. And I said, look, I'm a journalist. I can only write in like 2,000, 3,000 chunks. So can we work together to kind of get the right thing? And can you give me deadlines? Because that's the only way it's going to happen. So I started it in the first lockdown, actually. So I was writing all that really painful stuff in the first lockdown. And I made the decision to stop taking the search relief. And I split up with a boyfriend. So like <laughs> by the end of lockdown, I was like, ooh. Um, so I don't know whether all those three things related um but yeah so so you know I kind of in a way it sort of history repeated itself and then you know I got to the end of the book in like I think I finished it in September and um, now I feel I'm in such a good place so I just want to um ask as we near the end if anyone else is listening to your story and can really relate what helped you during so far and maybe in the future during this process to kind of get back to you and do those steps of healing and recovery? I mean, I think it's that classic thing that we touched on. It's like it is reaching out to people. I think women are incredibly supportive of each other. You know, things like, you know, you and I are obviously recording this, but actually these kind of chats between friends and between colleagues. And, you know, to me, every time I talk, it helps me, you know, you're, you you will have given me some insight, I will have given you some insight. So it's a lot about sharing stories to me and being open and being, you know, being 
brave enough to be vulnerable because at that stage I think people can help you and I, I mean I remember when I first split up or first was going through it I mean I would literally go through phone calls like a chain smoker I'd call one person then call another one and then call another one thing I did learn was like not to call the same person all the time because they've only got so much bandwidth um but I that, that for me that's it it's sharing it and it's you know it's about being open and do you remember a time or have you had this moment yet where you thought do you know what I'm gonna be okay and divorce is all right. Yeah, I think I have. I mean, I definitely am now, I definitely now can't imagine that life as it would have played out. And I'm so grateful because at that stage, like, you know, in those months where I was trying to keep it together, I would have taken it on any terms and I would have been so miserable because, you know, I would have signed up to like, okay, you can never question this and you can't do that. And, you know, this is how it's going to be. And, you know, actually I feel much more like myself than I, you know, than I, than I realized I did for, you know, towards the end of my marriage. So, uh, you know, I'm trying to think when that pivotal moment was. I think, you know, it was probably it was probably like this time last year. So it was probably a whole kind of year on. I just suddenly felt like, actually, you know, I feel pretty good about myself and I feel good about my work. And uh, uh, actually, this is going to be a positive. Oh, that's so nice. And if if someone was listening or if you imagine you were listening to this chat back when you were right in the depths of it, what sort of advice would you give or what would you say to yourself? I mean, I think there are probably like three or four things. I think I would say go to the doctor and tell them how bad you're feeling. So I've got no doubt the sertraline did really help. Um, I would say, you know, what it is about time. I mean, I remember reading this like Nicole Kidman quote about her and Tom Cruise and she said something like she tried to rush through the steps. And I think if you're, you know, a sort of driven person who always sort of thinks that they can kind of manage any situation you think you can kind of speed up the healing process by doing certain stuff and I think you can certainly make yourself a kind of more round and more understanding person but I think actually time is the time you know you have to trust in time a bit you know and all those things that are so painful at first normalize you know that first Christmas that first you know the first time you have to go to a parents evening all those things do normalize so I'd say that and I would say you know just try and be kind to yourself you know those kind of critical voices in your head they're not necessarily true they're your thoughts they're not the truth you know oh that's lovely that's a lovely place to finish thank you it's been so nice to chat where can people find you online so I've got a website which is called Life's Rosie. Um, and so they can find all the stories and things there and some really helpful kind of experts and and to you know read all the newspaper things. My Instagram is at Life's Rosie. And the book I think you can pre-order now on Amazon or um uh, Waterstones, I think. And it's called How to Heal a Broken Heart. It is, yes. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, It would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going. Uh, But also it affects our listing in the podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help 
more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times. And they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes is the big one or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com and we have a Patreon account, which means that you can support the podcast for as little as £2 a month and it helps me with all the admin costs. It also means you have access to our 90 style divorce and heartbreak chat room and there's lots of exclusives on there, little bits of audio that you don't get in the main podcast and some giveaways as well. So I'd love to see you over on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines and please leave a review. Did I say that already? Please leave a review. Love you forever.